0: Amen. Good morning. I'm going to go ahead and let you know that we are going to be in the book of Ezekiel this morning. Uh, A very familiar passage. uh, One that I think once you find out where we're at, uh, you will be like, oh yes, I know this one. I'm very familiar with this one. And so, um, you know, I think it'll be just a a good time in the word this morning. And uh, again, as you're returning to Ezekiel, I want to let you know that we are still continuing uh, through our study, through our series called Identity. Um, and, man, I want to let you know that with that series, uh, we've actually kind of called an audible, if you will, uh, on that series. And uh, what I mean by that is our hope uh, with this series was kind of to get into the Word, to get into to who God is and who we are in light of who God is. And eventually, I believe that we are going to get there. However, I realize that just in the midst of just everything that's been happening around us, everything that we're seeing in our world, what we're seeing in even our church cultures, um, even some of the things that have come up within our own church and all the transitions that have been happening in life because of COVID or or being in a post-pandemic world, wherever we find ourselves, uh, myself, our leadership, we quickly realized that, man, we need to spend some time in the Word seeking out really what it means uh, to be a healthy church. And so my hope and prayer is over the next couple weeks together that by the Word of God, by the grace of God, um, we will be given some tools from the Word um, to help us as we move forward. Now, uh, you may be asking, okay, well, why the change all of a sudden to the series? Again, it's still identity, but um, the reality is, is, again, because we're in a time and a season where it's really hard to determine anymore what a healthy church is. And we are not immune to the issues that we see happening. In fact, I would want to encourage you with a word from several pastors that I've spoken with over the past couple weeks all over our country, even around our world, who are saying, yes, we're seeing some of the very same issues that you guys are describing out at Southside. So what should a healthy church look like? Well, we know society already has An answer to that question about what a healthy church is. In fact, they have their own definition, rather a very bad definition of what a healthy church is for society. Even our churches um, around us and among us have given their own definition of what a healthy church is and what a healthy church should be. But the reality is we should be looking to the very word of God for what a healthy church truly is. So for The next few weeks in the foreseeable future, we're gonna focus on our identity as a healthy church and answer the following question: What are the marks of a healthy church? Now, this morning we're gonna begin with what really should be the first mark of a healthy church, which is the role of the preached word. You see, for the for churches today and even churches historically, the word of God should be the very center of every church. The word itself should permeate in everything that we do, from worship to discipleship to missions, even to evangelism. And as a church, we should do what we do because it's the word of God that calls us to it. It's the word of God that commands us. In fact, I'm going to go and tell you this is exactly why we have set up our services the way we have here at Southside. You see, I don't know if you've seen this yet or, or sensed this or know this about our church, but every aspect of our service points to the preached word of God. So whether it's in our music or in our prayers or in our readings, all of these things lead to the preached word. Now again, this is not a new thing. I didn't come up with this. Pastor Corey did not come up with this. Our elders did not invent this. Rather, historically, this is the way the church has always operated. Operating according to the word. In fact, in modern history, when all of a sudden churches introduced the the podium and the pulpit and the platforms and, and stages, whatever we want to use there, when they were introduced, what would generally happen is that these churches would make the area where the word was being read or the word was being preached the highest area of that particular stage or that particular podium not so that the people could see and ultimately hear what it is that was being preached but because the word of God was to be held in high regard and it was the word of God that was to be honored by the church again historically speaking this is why the word is central to the church but man I want to take it one step further in terms of the preached word if you will Because, you see, when the word is preached, it should be done so as expositional preaching. Now, to give you some working definitions of what I'm talking about with expositional preaching, Mark Dever says it this way. He says, expositional preaching is preaching that takes for the point of a sermon, the point of a particular passage of Scripture, and therefore unfolds the word for the people of God. John Piper says it this way, expositional preaching is exulting over what I have seen in exposition. Exposition defined as bringing meaning out of the text for people and exulting, E-X-U-L-T, meaning to capture the appropriate emotion that is coming from that particular text. I'm going to tell you either definition that you just heard is really spot on. Both, in fact, paint a very clear picture that the word of God is to be central in the life of the church. But not only is the word of God to be central in the life of the church, the word of God is what dictates the preacher and the role of the preacher within the church. In fact, it was Charles Simeon who, in speaking of the preacher, said the preacher is a duty bound to the text. And therefore, the goals of preaching are to humble the sinner, to exalt the Savior, and to promote the holiness. Again, we are seeing the importance of the word and that importance that the word should have within our lives and within the life of our church. We are also now seeing the importance of the word even within our own leadership as a church. But again, these are just definitions from men. These are words from men. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to get into the word of God today and see what the Bible says about the role of the preached word. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me to an all too familiar passage, Ezekiel chapter 37, and we will begin reading in verse 1. Now you may be... Wondering what this passage is as we read. I think you'll quickly figure it out as we get there. This is Ezekiel chapter 37, beginning in verse 1. And at this time, if you were able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Again, this is Ezekiel, and Ezekiel chapter 37, beginning in verse 1, he writes The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh Lord God, you know. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. Man, let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for this morning. And Father, we thank you for Just the opportunity to be able to sit and to worship you, our holy God. Father, we thank you for your word, for the truth that is found in your word. We thank you already this morning for the opportunity to to be in discipleship classes, talking about you and your word. We thank you for the opportunity to, to gather together as one body, as one voice, singing praise because of your word, praying according to your word, hearing your word spoken. And now, Father, we ask and pray that you'd prepare our hearts and our minds as we seek to gain a better understanding of you and your call according to your word. So, Father, in the next few moments that we have together, we ask that you and you alone would be glorified. Jesus, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you, and it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now again, this passage may seem and feel all too familiar to you. I would imagine you may have a song or two that may come to mind. uh, uh, I'm uh, cautious to name any names right now, but I will uh, direct my gaze at a particular person who sent me roughly four to five different versions of how to sing Ezekiel 37, and I almost want to call him up here uh, to do that very thing and give us a little song and dance, but I will save it. Uh, for another time. But I will say you have a precious elder who I didn't believe new modern music. I didn't believe new modern dance, but here we are living the dream. Um, I just found that out. So thank you to that brother. You know who you are, Jed Huff. And so I am grateful for you and for what you sent this week. Anyway, I uh, want to set the scene for you if I could. First of all, I want us to realize that, man, obviously this, this book of Ezekiel was written by Ezekiel himself, the prophet, sometime around the 6th century. Now, before we dive into this, we need to recognize that Ezekiel's name meant God strengthens or may God strengthen, which actually is appropriate considering the theme of his writing throughout Ezekiel. In fact, I would encourage you to go back and, and read Ezekiel in its entirety because as you will read it, you're going to see that Ezekiel uses a strong language to proclaim God's judgment upon the people. He also uses the same language to point the people to the glory that is found in his grace and in his restoration. You see, by the time we get to Ezekiel chapter 37, the people have now turned from God. They have found themselves forced from their home and they are living in a broken faith covenant with God. And so Ezekiel comes along with an unrelenting message of repentance and with restoration for the people to come back to God. Now, by the time we get to our passage this morning, again, Ezekiel is seeing a vision, but not just a, a vision that you normally have in a dream, but rather a vision that just seems real. It seems lifelike. It's almost like having that dream at night and you wake up the next morning and you realize, man, I feel like I just had a dream that I was, I was out by the gulf. I was out by the beach. And all of a sudden, when you pull away the covers, you realize there's sand at the bottom of your bed. It was just that real. In fact, he tells us this when he writes, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out. You see, for Ezekiel, by his own words, what it was that he was seeing and experiencing in this particular vision was as close to real and as close to physically tangible as one can get when it comes to a vision from the Lord. And it's here in our text where we can now answer the question, why is the preached word? Central to a healthy church. Well, first, when we read verses 1 through 6, we see our first answer that the preached word should be central to a healthy church because we see a clear call by God to preach the word. Now, notice what's happening here. God is now taken Ezekiel to a place that was down in the middle of the valley, according to the text, and it was full of bones. And Ezekiel in the text describes these bones as many on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. You see, by his own words, Ezekiel is telling us the number, the situation, and the condition of these particular bones. Now pay attention to our backdrop, if you will, or better yet, pay attention to our landscape. This is not a mountaintop experience for Ezekiel this is not one of those moments that we see on the top of the mountain where god speaks and he speaks a word to his people and it's a word of affirmation that comes that ultimately lead the people to praising and worshiping god but rather in this particular moment we find ourselves in the midst of a valley and as we read throughout the old testament anytime we come across a valley there is much destruction and desolation that takes place as it's described within the old testament So what we have before us is a people, a desolate people, a people with no hope, a people with seemingly no spiritual life. They have no sense of sin or the dangers of sin because they are probably in the midst of their sin. They have no affection towards one another there is no grace there is no charity there is no mention of God or need for God and therefore there is no worship you see Ezekiel is looking at a people dry bones in a valley who were far from God We get to verse three, and God asks Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? Ezekiel's response is, oh Lord God, you know. Now notice what God is asking here. God's not asking Ezekiel, hey, Ezekiel, what do you think? Is it even possible for these bones to live? No, what he's asking is by what method or what means can these bones now live again? And Ezekiel, in wisdom, answers God by saying, God, in your omniscience, in your ability to know all things, in your omnipotence, in the fact that you alone, God, are all-powerful, you alone, Lord, know what it is that you can and will do. You see, Ezekiel says what we as Christians today already know to be true. Only God works in the lives of people. It is only God who can lead people to salvation. Only God can lead people to conviction. It's not anything that we can do or anything that we can bring upon people. We do not save people. Rather, we are simply messengers of the goodness of God and messengers of the grace of God. Notice we move to verse four and God tells Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones and say to them, Now let's pause right there. Notice what's happening in verse 4 of Ezekiel 37. In the same way that God spoke and creation came to be in Genesis chapter 1, Ezekiel is now called by God to preach God's word in order to restore the bones. You see, Ezekiel is now called by God to tell these bones or to speak to these bones about their miserable living and not just speak to them but speak what god has said to speak his word to them you see god calls ezekiel to preach his word so that the word can minister to the people You see, for us today, as we read these first four verses, we need to realize that as the word of God is preached faithfully, we, as God's people, hear the word, we receive the word, and it's the word that now calls us and draws us back from the dry ground, which is our sin, and calls us to the arms of our Savior and Lord. This is why we can read in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Because it's the word that draws us back. You see, the call to preach by God is what brings us from our disobedience and our sin and therefore connects us back to our Savior and our Lord. The call by God to preach reveals to us that the preached word, God's word, should be central to a healthy church. But notice what else we learn from Ezekiel about the role of the preached word. In verses 7 and 8, we see that it's the preached word that unites us. So not only is it a call by God, but now it's the preached word that unites us. You see, Ezekiel in this passage begins to preach, and as he does, notice what the text says. It says there was a sound and a rattling, and bones came together, and there were sinews on them, and skin had covered them. Now, let's pause right here because before we go any further, there's this fancy little word called sinews that I don't think I've ever heard anybody use in any conversation that I've ever had with anyone in this church so if you're hearing that for the first time this word "sinews" is almost like a, a tendon or a ligament if you will it's that tough fibrous tissue that unites muscle to bone and bone to bone basically what's happening is this Ezekiel is preaching and bodies were coming together the preached word was uniting the body You see, this is exactly what the preached word should be doing in our lives as well. As the body of Christ, many parts making up one body. We know this from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We need to realize that our faith in Christ, our hope in the gospel, our assurance is found in the preached word that brings us together. If you don't believe me, then you need to go back and hear the words of Nehemiah chapter 8 again. Particularly in verse 1. Notice that the people had gathered together. And in verse 1 it says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Do you see what's happening there? The people of God had gathered together as one. And with one voice they said, give us the book. They wanted the word of God. And they united as one around the word of God. So the question for us this morning, are we a church that is united around the word or are we a church that's allowing foolish controversies to rip us apart, which is what is happening all over our country and world? You see, when we gather to hear the preached word, that word unites us as one voice. That word unites us as one family because of the power that is found in the gospel, which is the word of Jesus Christ. This leads us to our next point on why the word, the preached word, is central to the roles of the church. We see in verse 9 and 10 that not only are we now called by God to preach the word, but that the preached word now unites us, but thirdly, we now see that the preached word brings life. Now, again, I want to pause here for a moment. I want you to pay attention to something as you go back and reread this text, and maybe this will be something that hits you later. But before we go any further, I want us to look at what's happening here. God has given a word to Ezekiel, and Ezekiel, in faithful obedience, now proclaims the word. So please, do me a favor, and as we continue to read this, don't lose sight of the faithfulness of Ezekiel as he preaches the word. You see, shameless plug for us this morning. We should be a people who pray for our church. We should be a people who pray for our membership, and I'm going to take it a step further here, okay? We should be a people who pray for our pastors. We need to be praying for our elders. We need to be praying for our teachers, and we need to be praying that they will give us the full preached word of God. We don't need to be praying for their demise. We don't need to be praying for their heartache. We don't need to be praying for for whatever it is that we want to hurl at them. Rather, we need to be praying that they will continue to remain faithful to the very preached word. Why? Because Paul warns us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passion and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off in the myths. You see, Paul was already seeing this in his day in the local church. Timothy and Titus were seeing this and experiencing this false teaching that was going on. And I'm sure it's safe for us to say today that we are now seeing this same false teaching in our world. You see, our churches, it's happening within our churches as as the word of God is now taken way out of context or it's not preached accurately for whatever political cause, fill in the blank. Let me unpack what I mean here. You see, we're now living in a day and a time where even the best churches with some of the most incredible people spend all of their time reading books from old ODDs, old dead dudes, if you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, old dead theologians that have, that have come and gone centuries before us. They're spending too much time reading the wisdom from these, from these people. And that is good and right. But there comes a problem when all of a sudden we can't even understand the word of God when it comes to foundational items like church membership. It's not good when we can quote our favorite theologian, but we have no idea what the Bible says about church discipline or about discipleship or about evangelism or about missions. We can't just create our own definitions of these things because the Word of God has already given us the definitions. And so we need to know the Word. Now, coming back to our text in Ezekiel 37, God tells Ezekiel, he didn't tell him, he calls him. God calls Ezekiel and he says, prophesy to the breath. You see, God shows us that when the word is faithfully preached, it's the word that brings life. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you sometimes that, that life giving of the word, sometimes it cuts deep into our soul to remove sin. Sometimes, sometimes we, don't, we walk out of here and we're not happy with what we've heard. We're convicted by what we're heard. We're not very happy with it. We probably want to email our staff the next day and say, hey, that was terrible. But the reality is sometimes the word cuts deep into our soul for the purpose of removing sin so that we can be made righteous before God. However, there are other times where we can study the word of God The study passages like the one we're looking at today, and it's in these passages that it points us to the grace of God and to the goodness of God. You see, that's actually the point of what Ezekiel's getting at here in Ezekiel chapter 37. You see, this was the point of the vision that God had given to him. The point was this, for the people to see the power of the restoration that comes from our God but notice what happens with breath coming on the bodies we now get a visual representation of the spirit that's at work in the life of someone as they faithfully and actively hear the word of God preached now again shameless pug for teaching and preaching in our churches this is why I believe it's a good idea that every time you come to a service to hear the preached word you ought to be taking notes you really should I'm going to go and tell you, God has blessed us with some phenomenal teachers and some phenomenal elders and and, and several men who have been up in this pulpit who have faithfully preached the word. And, And each time they come, I sit down and take notes for the purpose of encouragement and edification and conviction and even the things that they are teaching are things that I am learning myself. And so I'm grateful and thankful for that. And so I take notes to make sure I'm an active listener in what is being said as that person proclaims the word of God faithfully. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, man, man Corey, we've talked about this. We need, to, we need to make this happen. There's a little pamphlet called Listen Up. Everybody needs to read this, okay? If you're, I know I keep recommending books, and you think that I go home and I nerd out and read books all day. If you've been to my house, you know that's not true. Okay, I nerd out about other things. Uh, some of you noted that in that little bingo game you played a couple weeks ago during fellowship. Uh, I nerd out about a lot of stuff, all right? But the reality is there's this great little booklet. I don't know, it's about 20 pages on, long and it's about how we need to actively listen when we are being taught or when the word is being preached. And there's a reason for that. Not because you should just do it in order to earn points to heaven, but rather to make sure that what it is that we are hearing, that as we're hearing it, we recognize the life-giving power that's now coming from the preached Word of God. You don't believe me? Look at John 1. This is verse 1 and verse 3 and 4. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now we know also that the Word means Jesus. But notice what happens here in verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. By John's own words, the word was there in the beginning. The word was with God. The word was God, and it is the word... That is life. You see, when the word is central and the people hear the word faithfully preached, then the word will unite the body and then it's the word that will bring life to what was once dry and dead. So as the word is preached, it is now the spirit that moves and pierces us to our soul. We move on to point number four of why the word, the preached word should be central to our church. And that's found in the second half of verse 10, probably my favorite phrase in this entire passage. We see that point number four is that the preached word now prepares us. So notice what we have. There's a clear call by God. It is the preached word that now unites us. It is the preached word that brings life. And now we see that the preached word prepares us. Now, again, this is one of my favorite phrases, and I would underline it right where it says this in the text. They lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. I mean, just stop and think about that for a minute. I mean, have you ever, I know we're all familiar with this passage, and I know we've all got the song. uh, My wife was singing a song to me this week, them bones, them bones, them dry bones. Okay, come on now, y'all got to stay with me. But just think about what's happening for a moment. Ezekiel has just witnessed a valley of death. He was just in a valley of decay and all of a sudden he preaches as God commands him and bodies come together. He preaches as God commands and life is now breathed into these lungs. He preaches as God commands and now people are living, but not just any people. The text tells us an exceedingly great army. Now, I love that word army because it could also mean warriors worthy of war. In other words, as the word was being preached, and they began to come together, and as life began to enter them, they became strong. They became a force to be reckoned with. There was no stopping these soldiers. You see, this is the power of the preached word for the believer. You see, it's the Word that now equips us for what it is that is coming. It's the Word that prepares us with the truth, the capital T truth, that we now need. And it's the Word that gives us the capital T truth that our world needs. In fact, Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, takes us one step further about the Word of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, he tells the church, to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The question is asked, why would this be necessary? Well, if you read over in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, you see how all of a sudden Scripture comes together here. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 tells us that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, the preached word doesn't just prepare us for the world. The preached word doesn't just prepare us for a life of service as a force to be reckoned with. But now, by Paul's own words, according to the word of God, because of the word, we are prepared with the greatest weapon the world has ever known. And that is the preached word of God. You see, there is weight when we say what we believe because the word commands it. You see, it is by the word of God, the word being central to the church, that as God's great army, we are prepared and equipped to take on whatever the world may throw at us. We come to our last point on why the word, the preached word should be central to our church. And that is because the preached word provides hope. We see this in verses 11 through 14. Now again, if you're taking notes, here we go. It started with a clear call by God. We then saw that it was the preached word that that brings us together. We then saw that it was the preached word that gives life. It's the preached word that prepares. And now it is the preached word that provides hope. You see, we get to our final section and God now tells Ezekiel that these dry bones represent the whole house of Israel. You see, they had no spirit, they had no life, they had no courage, and all hope seems lost for the people of God. This particular valley of dry bones represents a desperate and despairing situation that the people of Israel found themselves in. And the reality is this, Ezekiel is probably not surprised by this moment. In fact, if you go back and read Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 6, when God calls Ezekiel out, listen to what God says. He says, And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. You see, Ezekiel knew that these bones were a people who were lost and undone. He knew that these weren't just random people in society. He knew these were the people of God. And he knew that because God told him so back in chapter 2. Pay attention to what's happening here. God is referring to his own people as briars and thorns. He's referring to his own people as scorpions, or if you want to get real technical, more like scorpion plants, but we'll get into that on another day. We get into verse 12 in our text, and notice what God does here. After being told who these people are, God now calls Ezekiel to preach again. And this time he is called to revive their hope and to encourage their faith. God says to them, and I will open your graves and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Notice what God does here. God, by his preached word, will restore hope. God, by his preached word, restores the people back into his promise. And then he continues in verse 14 and says, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. Now again, there's one of those phrases that you should go back and read again and see how many times the Lord tells to Ezekiel, and you shall live. Notice that God promises hope to the people. He tells the people that his spirit will come to them as a spirit of hope, as a spirit of grace, as a spirit of truth, as a spirit of holiness, as a spirit of faith. And it's his spirit that will speak and bring life to them. You see, when we, as God's people today, when we have the preached word at the center of who we are, then we are never far from hope I'm gonna say this again. When we as God's people have the preached word at the center of who we are, then we are never far from hope. It is in the word that we see the hope that we have in God through Jesus Christ our Lord. When the preached word is at the center of our church, than as we gather. It's the word that will always bring us hope because it's the word that will always remind us of the gospel. And honestly, if I could just say it, this is why we end our services with communion. Because no matter whether it's conviction, no matter if it's celebration and edification, we will always end with what the word tells us about the hope that we now have in Jesus Christ. That's why we come to the table week after week after week. I love what Spurgeon says about this point. He says it this way. He says, from every text in scripture, there is a road to Jesus Christ. Man, praise God that his word, faithfully preached, will bring us back to Christ. You see, for Ezekiel, the preached word was clearly important, not only for him, but also for the people of Israel. In fact, throughout the Bible, we constantly see the importance of faithful preaching of the word, and the same is and should be true for us today as God's people. We need the preached word. And not just any word from any person, but rather an exalting of the exposition of the word. We need preachers and leaders and teachers and churches who are faithful to the word of God. You see, through the hope, through the preparation, the life, the unity, and the call, we clearly now can see how the preached word should be central to who we are as a church. And so Southside, I want to tell you something. As long as I am here, and by God's grace, he allows it, your elders and leaders, myself and our pastors, will always be faithful to preach the word. It's like our early reformers said. The church is the church reformed. Always being reformed according to the word of God. So as a church seeking to be healthy, let's hear the word of God. Let's pray the word of God. Let's sing the word of God and let's continue to hear again and again and again the word of God as we gather for worship. Let's pray together.